Amen. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day to everybody in the room. I want to start this morning with a scripture reading from 1 Thessalonians um, out of chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because, your, uh, because the gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, as it is Mother's Day, um, I, I do have to say, Ray very thoughtfully asked me and asked <laughs> Teresa, who's preaching at Fry, um, if, if it would be a burden to preach on Mother's Day, knowing that this is a day that we're supposed to be able to take it easy and maybe be pampered a little bit. Um, both Teresa and I decided that as mothers, we had quite a lot to say. And so we would be happy to lead this morning. So that's your warning. Get comfortable. We're going to start with table manners and move on from there. If you'd like to get your children out of kids' ministry. I'm just kidding. Um, the, the real reason that Ray wanted us to lead on Mother's Day is because as we go through this No Place Like Home series, today we're going to talk specifically about what it means to model our faith. And clearly... I have mastered modeling. So um, as a mother and a human being, really, in all things, I have never lost my temper. I have never made a bad decision. I have never <laughs> flung a chicken sandwich across a minivan in a fit of frustration <laughs> and exhaustion. Um, it is, since it is, in fact, Mother's Day, I'm just going to go ahead and say that there is no mirror quite like the tiny people entrusted to you by God to let you know how very off or on track you are in life. I think this goes for many people that work with little kids, teachers especially. Um, I just began recently subbing in Sci-Fair, and it has been just the most fun thing. It's a little bit like being a grandparent, because you show up just to keep everyone alive, and then you hand them back to the teachers the next day. Um, but can I just say that I know it's late in the school year. Are there teachers in the room? How many days left? I See? I was like, half a second. Um, you are doing a fantastic job. 
you um, hang in there. We will be praying you through all 14 of the next days. But I know you're doing a good job because I see it and because every time I do something wrong in one of those classes, they're like, uh, Miss Long, that is not how Miss Richards does it. And I go, I know, she'll be back tomorrow. Um, <laughs> But at any rate, um, I, I, I have to, I mean, we like to talk about kids in this, and it's a great way that we talk about modeling, but, but truly, this is not all about kids following adults. When we talk about role modeling, the fact is that we constantly look for role models in all facets of our lives. At work, I think about all the people in my career and in jobs that I have had that have affected me um, because of leadership and good leadership. I think about lessons that I have learned from people that I have volunteered alongside at school and in the community. I think about the impact made in my life by friends and neighbors in all manner of ways. The fact is that what is modeled for us makes a huge impact on us, on how we understand the world around us and how we interact and we operate in that world. I have a friend who works with at-risk youth and children, and I asked her one time, what is the difference between those kids that can break the cycle of trouble or poverty or abuse or neglect and the kids that can't? What is it, the thing that, that, that you can take two kids in the same program and, and one does it and one can't do it? And her answer was that usually those kids that can break that cycle have someone else in their lives to show them a different way of doing something. That it's not enough just to remove a child from a difficult situation. Something and someone else has to move in and fill the gap. And not just teach and tell them how to do it differently, but show them how you live life differently. And I think that that's how it works for most of us all across the board. We follow best and understand best what is modeled for us. When we think about our walk as Christians, our conduct is like a visual aid for our faith. And what is remarkable is that it's what people glean from the habits that we are not even aware of that makes a bigger difference than the things that we take the time to explicitly explain. Um, for example, I, I have this saying in our house, I'm always like, read the room, guys, read the room. It means pay attention, you know, to what is going on around you. Yes, I know that you learned a new song on your recorder today at school, but the dog is barking and your father is on the phone and I'm trying to get dinner out of the oven and this is not a good time for hot cross buns. Read the room. And I don't think I have ever sat down and like explained that to my kids, but every single one of them knows what it means and every single one of them has repeated it to each other at some point or another. And so you just think about those things that you do without thinking. How do you react when you're angry? How do you react when you are tired or upset? How do you act when you're happy? If you don't know, look at the people in your life, in your circle of influence that you spend a good amount of time with, and it will become very apparent to you very quickly what your go-to habits and actions and attitudes and behaviors are. 
When somebody that you supervise misses a deadline at work and the first thing they do is point the finger at somebody else, is it because you guys had a, a, a consultant come in for half a day to talk about passing the buck? Probably not. It is because somewhere along the line, that has been modeled in leadership by you or somebody else over and over again. Think about the ways that we do this in parenting. I remember um, a lady that I was friends with, uh, one time her son got a, a speeding ticket. And I remember her marching down to that courthouse and telling the judge he was coming off the highway and he got caught for speeding. And she stood up and argued that the lane was not long enough for him to properly slow down, and so he did not deserve that speeding ticket. And then I remember a conversation like a week later with her where she was just exasperated that she couldn't get her son to take responsibility for any of his mistakes. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to throw her under the bus. We'll get to my parenting mistakes later in this message. But the old adage, do as I say and not as I do, does not cut it. It doesn't work when it comes to our walk with Christ, and it does not work when it comes to leading others to follow Christ either. So as we gather this morning and continue to worship and we think about this series that we're in, what home looks like for us, what our families look like for us, what our circles of influence look like, it begs the question, are you a person worth imitating? Are you modeling your faith in a way that helps others know, follow, and share Jesus Christ? That's the question that we're going to spend some time in this morning because we are called to be in relationship and discipleship with other people. I'll say it again. Our conduct becomes a visual aid for our faith and the faith that we are calling others into. Paul calls this being an imitator. In our passage today, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And actually that phrase, that, that idea about imitating is a common thread through a lot of Paul's writings. We see it here in 1 Thessalonians. We also come across that phrase in Philippians, Ephesians, and 1 Corinthians, where Paul is calling people to the example of God, to the example of Jesus Christ, and the example of other followers in the church, including himself. Now that might seem a little bit boastful of Paul. After all, he's the first half of his career persecuting Christians. So what makes him so sure of himself now? It takes a lot of gumption to put yourself out there as a role model, as somebody worth imitating. But the passage begins like this. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. See, it isn't Paul's power that he is boasting about here. It is not confidence in himself that he is relying on. It is the confidence that comes from being convicted by God and the Spirit and working and living and following in the power of God and the Holy Spirit. In other translations, the word follower is used instead of imitator. Paul is confidently calling people to follow in behind him because he was so very convicted in the truth that he was following. 
He was very convicted in Jesus Christ as the way and the truth and the life and that that was real and worthy. And so he wasn't asking people, hey, I know that it's really hard to be in the church and you're gonna be persecuted, but you can pull yourself up from your bootstraps and you can get this done and you can rely on yourself to do it. He was convicted in Jesus Christ as the way and the truth and the life. And so it wasn't ultimately about Paul calling people to follow him. It was Paul calling people to follow Jesus Christ alive in him. And that's the encouragement that he writes about in 1 Thessalonians. He's writing to a community here that is new in their faith. They're largely Gentiles. These are not people that grew up in the faith. They did not read the Torah. They did not know the scriptures. They did not know the traditions. And so they were coming out of religions based on idolatry, based on polytheistic beliefs. And they were constantly being bombarded by people that were showing false teaching and opposing the truth of Jesus Christ. They were constantly being bombarded by these other messages, tempting them away from that word. It's why also in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the coming of the Lord. That Jesus died and rose again, and through Jesus, we will rise again. Because Paul knew that ultimately any spiritual growth was going to be motivated by this hope. He wasn't interested, again, in, in telling people to just ignore hardship, that Jesus was gonna make everything better. He was talking about the fact that when we follow Christ, we follow a life walked in the power of God's spirit, a hope unparalleled and unmatched, and that that hope would inspire these followers to godly living. And in that godly living, we become imitators of Jesus Christ. And we begin to live a life worthy of imitating. That's the same message, the same thing that we are called to today. But it isn't any easier for us now than it is for the followers then. And those blessed mirror people in your lives, whether they're your kids or your coworkers or your friends, that show you how much you have missed the mark. So when we talk about being imitators, about answering that question, am I a person worth imitating? Am I modeling my faith in a way that allows others to know, follow, and share Jesus? I wanna offer three patterns today that I think we see over and over again in scripture to help us think about how our own lives can be lives worth imitating. And the first one is to be reliable. By that, I mean being a person of integrity that is grounded in the word of God. We are thinking of our lives as visual aids for our faith, and you cannot model for someone what you do not know yourself. I love the way one author writes it. It's hard to teach someone to swim when you are drowning. If you want others to follow Christ, you had better be following him yourself first. That's why we started this series and why we've revisited this passage from Deuteronomy every week. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, the Shema, the key teaching in Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all of your strength. 
because we are formed by listening and obeying God's word. We are receiving a truth that defines who we are and how we are to be present in this life. We hear that truth and we respond with our whole selves. Paul, again, he is writing to people that are being tempted away from Christ with false teaching and idols, calling them back to this truth. Guess what? Not much has changed since Paul's day. False teachings, still a thing. Try this. Find somebody in your life that maybe does not know the Bible, does not know scripture, and ask them to fill in the blank. I can do all things through blank, which strengthens me. And just see how they fill it in. I'm referring, of course, to the passage in Philippians at 4.13, where Paul is talking about being in want and being in plenty, and how he knows to be content and can manage either way because of the strength of Jesus Christ, that he accomplishes God's will. But that is not always the message that we pick up in the world around us. And so our, our blanks start to sound like this. I can do all things through power, which strengthens me. I can do all things through wealth. I can do all things through self-determination, through self-esteem, being self-made. Jesus Christ is not a requirement. False teaching. And idols, still a thing. There's literally a show called American Idol. And we ask our kids to write essays on who is your idol in sports or your idol in acting or your idol in politics. Now, to be fair, I think we throw the word idol around. I don't think we always use it the way that it's used in scripture. I think sometimes we use it synonymously with the word mentor or somebody like that. And you know what? That's not a bad thing. If you're an aspiring athlete, is it not helpful to have a mentor or a coach or somebody to look up to? Absolutely. And you know what? On their face, power and influence, they are not necessarily bad things. Neither is wealth, neither is self-determination, neither is self-esteem. But where I think that we fail is when we start to put these sorts of examples at the same level as Jesus Christ, or worse, higher. To follow Christ is to follow Christ first as the one true God, to follow him with your heart and your soul and your strength, all of it, and let everything else then flow out of God's will. And this is the conviction and the power that Paul writes about, that Paul acknowledges is what allows the people in Thessalonica to become models to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, and, and not just there, but that their faith in God becomes known everywhere. So are you modeling a love for God first that flows from knowing his word that flows from being defined by God's truth. Not the truth of idolatry, not false teaching that's so easily found in so many other places. Are you modeling from a place of reliability, of trust and integrity grounded in God's word? Because ultimately, 
If you are calling somebody to follow the example of your life and your faith, you are not asking them to follow what you have come up with and you have devised and you have come come to on your own. You are offering Christ to the world. You are offering what God has ordained and what God has designed for you as brothers and sisters, deeply loved by God, chosen by God, with a truth that has come to you, not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. So first in our modeling, we seek to be reliable. And second, we seek to be relatable. Now, we have all sorts of relationships in our lives, some deeper than others. I believe that we are called to honor God in all of our relationships and all of our interactions. I'm going to play the Mother's Day card here for a second, and I'm just going to say that your character follows you wherever you go. You do not get to be a different person at church or at work or at home or out with your friends or at the grocery store than you are anywhere else because Jesus and germs are everywhere. Amen? But we do press into some relationships differently. And being relatable in the one as one who is Modeling their faith for others is about developing close, loving relationships that allow others to see who we really are when Christ is working in us. One of the things that's wonderful that comes through in Paul's writings to these early communities is the spirit with which he loved and served and those churches loved and served and related to one another. At 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul writes, So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. See, Paul is is saying here that, that we're not just here to share the gospel with you, but we are also here to show you who we are in light of the gospel. Modeling a life of faith is not just about the the good word that we read to others or post on our Instagram account. It is to be close enough to somebody that they know not only God's word because of you, but they can see what God's word looks like in your own life. God's word says worship and praise. Do you know how I learned to sing and how I learned to love singing about Jesus? From my mama in the car. We had all the Sandy Patty tapes. And I know this is a contemporary crowd, but y'all know some Sandy Patty. I know it. I'm going to get you some one. Do you know some Sandy Patty? Which Tuesday in the office is going to be the Sandy Patty hour with me and one. Um, my mom never never pulled one out and popped it in a tape player and said, now girls, we're gonna worship for a second. I really want you to think about the song here and how it's written and pay attention to the dynamics and the lyrics that are chosen. She didn't. She just popped it in and sang and my sisters and I followed because we saw what she had and what she was sharing. 
in a way that she didn't even know about. I mean, again, we're talking about the way that habits we aren't even aware of model more for what we, than what we explicitly explain. God's word says worship, and she knew it, and she taught it. God's word says encourage. God's word says forgive. God's word says seek him. And my goodness, when I think about the relationships in my life that have given me deeper, richer understandings of what those things mean, not just what the Bible says about them, but what it looks like to encourage, what it looks like to forgive and to ask for forgiveness, what it looks like to seek God. This is what God desires for us in relationships with one another, in relationships where we are given the privilege of showing others who God is, not just sharing the gospel, but the gospel working in our lives. This is what it is to be relatable in modeling our faith. Now, I warn you, relatability requires vulnerability. And that is not easy either. I think about photographs and how easy it is to apply a filter these days. There's one of me in the hallway over by our offices. And when Darwin was taking it, and he's an excellent photographer, he's on our media team and the staff, you know, he was like adjusting the light and telling me like which way to turn my head so that certain things would disappear and certain things would look a little bit better. And I told him, it's not that I don't want to look like myself. I just want to look like myself like without like this situation here. And I know though that we do that in all facets of our life. We fight honesty and authenticity because it doesn't always show us at the best angle and in the best light. But every time I start to think that I am too proud or not proud enough to let somebody see me up close, I think about Jesus Christ stooping with a towel around his waist to wash the feet of his disciples in the upper room, to wash the filth and the dirt and the waste from the feet of those closest to him. And I think that he commands us to do the same, to live faith in close proximity with one another. It's to be willing to encounter a little dirt and a lot of humility and a lot of humanity, especially our own. But if his love can wash away the dust and the dirt and the filth from Peter's feet, then be assured that his grace can reach us too and can reach others through us despite our dirt and our filth. So reliability grounded in God's word, relatability provided in close relationships, and finally, as we seek to live a life worth imitating, be repentant. 
Here is the deal. If you began this message with that question, if my life was one worth imitating and you started to make a list of all the pluses and the minuses, you might, like me, feel like your minus column is a little bit longer than your pluses column. Since it is Mother's Day, I will be honest with you. I am not a perfect mother. I burn food. I slam doors. And not in the righteous way that, you know, Jesus turns over the tables of money changers. I spend money on things that I should not spend money on. I get so distracted by my to-do list some days that I lose my temper, that I forget to go to God's word. I forget my devotional for days at a time. And you know what? For every single one of those things, I am accountable. Because what you do as a parent matters. But kids do not need perfect parents. I heard this song on the radio the other day, and it was, it was a lovely song about how the world sees us one way, but God looks down and he sees us perfect. And it's nice, but that's not right, actually. I do not think that God looks down on us and thinks that we are perfect. I think he sees us in our broken states. I think that the broken world we lives in grieves him. But he knows that he is perfect. So no, your kids do not need you to be a perfect parent. What they need to know is how their imperfect family follows a perfect heavenly father. Your friends do not need perfect friends. Your coworkers do not need perfect bosses. Your neighbors do not need perfect neighbors. Your students do not need perfect teachers. What the people in your life need is someone that knows that they are chosen and dearly loved. What the people in your life need is someone who does all things through Christ who strengthens them. What the people in your life need is someone who lives not simply with words, but with the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. This is not about being perfect. This is about your willingness to be perfected in Christ Jesus. And if you woke up this morning, he is not done with you yet. Humility and repentance, they are keys to the Christian life and they are just as important for us to model to others as anything else. To be willing to say, I am sorry. Somebody pick up the chicken sandwich from the back of the minivan and put it back in the, in the bag. We're gonna try that again. Our ability to recognize our faults and our missed steps, that's a gift to us from God because he has also given us the ability to make things right, to ask those that we are in relationship with, especially those that we are modeling our faith for at home and at work and at school and in the community to ask for forgiveness, 
Confession and repentance, they allow us with God's help to build something else beautiful in the places where we have failed or where we might have been failed. I mean, the truth is today that sometimes we have to call repentance remodeling. There are many of us in this room seeking to do things differently than the way that we were shown. And if that is you today, I want to encourage you to invite a spirit of forgiveness and humility into your heart right now. And to be humble toward the example that may have fallen short in your own life. And then I want you to know that you are not doomed to repeat the sins of those that have come before you. Because this is the freedom of Christ as we celebrate as Easter people on this side of the cross. You are not and you will not walk around today as the perfect role model. But you can walk in the assurance of a perfect Savior of a savior that has given us an example that we may do as he has done. A savior that sees you and knows you and calls you false and all to be a light shining before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Because this is, after all, what we're all pointing to ultimately in this role modeling and this modeling and this living life worth imitating. And all the ways that we are reliable and relatable and repentance, it is for God's glory that awaits us. So let it be his strength that allows us to do all things so that in him we know and we follow and we share in all things. This is what it means to live a life worth imitating. Like I said, I know that that is not always easy. And so today, I'm, as the band comes up, we're going to close the, the, the service with the blessing, which is familiar to many of you. And it, uh, the, the song comes out of those words at Numbers 6, 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you and give you peace. There's a really cool story about this verse. In 1979, some archaeologists were digging just outside Old Jerusalem in an area called Gehenna. And it's believed that this area was at one point an area of child sacrifice, where they would sacrifice children to the pagan gods. But in 1979, as they were digging, they found these silver amulets in this area that were inscribed with the words of this scripture. And these amulets they've dated go back further even than the Dead Sea Scrolls. So put all that together, what that means is that one of the oldest pieces of scripture pulled from the ground in a place scourged as the gates of hell is a blessing of peace prayed for centuries and centuries by parents over their children. It's the blessing of peace that is poured over each one of us. I do not know 
what gates you walked out of and into this place today. I know that you have had examples in your life that are worth imitating. Praise God. And I know that you have had examples in your life that have fallen short. But I know that God does not call you alone to be a person worth imitating. I know that he calls you in his favor, that he calls you in his power and his strength. So receive this blessing and know that in whatever condition, he seeks peace for you. He seeks love for you. He seeks his will and goodness in all things. Would you stand as we sing together?